Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. The reading is taken from the book of Matthew, chapter 22, verses 34 to 40. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbour as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Revelation chapter 7 verses 9 to 17 After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne, and around the elders, and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne, and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory, and wisdom and thanksgiving, and honour and power and might be to our God for ever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Morning, everyone, again from our glass space. Um, this is week 14 of lockdown, hard to believe. Um, we started this off thinking it would be a few weeks, and here we are over three months in. But um, Thank you for allowing us into your home in this way. It's nice to be able to do that. Um, thanks to Amber and to Stevie and Ella as well for worshiping, for Tash, for leading us in communion and hosting this morning as well. And also to the guys here who continually to put the stuff together and um, make, the, make it work and make us all uh, hopefully look good. Um, also thanks to David for reading this morning for us, um, two very powerful 
readings. We'll get into those in the morning. And of course, happy Father's Day. Um, one little boy was asked to define Father's Day, and he said it's much like Mother's Day, only we don't spend as much in the presence. Um, and uh, stats show that the greatest number of long-distance phone calls are made on Mother's Day, and the largest number of reverse charges um, are made on Father's Day. So um, happy Father's Day to all the dads. And for those who have lost dads, or like myself, who have to visit a grave, um, uh, we are with you on that, and we pray for you that God would bless you. Uh, we are continuing on our theme, following Jesus in all of life. We started this way back last September, looking at um, John fourteen six, uh, where Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And we looked at the ways of Jesus. We then looked at some of the parables, looking at the words of Jesus. And then we began um, to look at the life of Jesus and how the life of Jesus actually affects us in our ministry. What happens when we touch him? Or the bigger question that we've asked each week is, what happens when he touches us? And so what I'd love to do today, I'd love just to talk to us as a church and um, I suppose approach the question, who is my neighbor? And if you wanted to put a, a title um, on the talk today, we would entitle it The Table in the Throne, hence the table here that we're going to talk about this morning. Um, so uh, in Revelation, in the Revelation reading that David read for us, this incredible scene where the saints are gathered around the throne, um, which Jesus tells us in Matthew that can only happen if we learn how to sit around the table. And uh, let me um, try and develop that a little bit this morning. I've got a picture of a church, um, a church. Everybody has some kind of a, a mental picture when you think of a church, when you think of, when you even hear the word church, there's a, a mental picture that comes into our hand, it might be, or into our head, it might be something of this caliper out um, somewhere in the country, um, beautiful scenery and great architecture. I don't know what your picture is of a church, but I remember growing up as a boy um, falling in love with the church. I fell in love with God um, when I was very young. And when I was 11, I would walk. I lived out in the country. When I was 11, I would walk every Sunday afternoon um, to Dariad Corner, which means nothing to you at the moment. Well, maybe to some of you. And then the following Sunday to Derry Trasnet Chapel, which was the other way. And they would alternate Sunday by Sunday. And one way was mostly Protestant, and the other way was mostly Catholic. And so I would knock the doors as a boy of 11, and I would give out little gospel tracts and talk to the neighbors. And I remember thinking as a boy how we worship differently. I remember thinking how we school different. We went to different schools. And I would read, even as a boy, Acts chapter 2 and wonder what this New Testament church really was meant to look like. Was it really meant to look like our idyllic picture of a church that we have in our mind? Or what was it really supposed to look like? And I conclude that somewhere down the line, we'd lost our way. Somewhere, the picture of the New Testament church didn't line up with what was going on in my young mind. I grew up, ventured into business, 
um, took a few risks, some of which didn't pay off that awful well, left me with huge debts and lessons to learn. And at 33, I, I, I sort of ventured on another risk, and uh, Kaywood's Cole had never had a presence in Craig Evan, and uh, I was approached and asked, would I franchise um, their coal business in the Craig Evan area? And uh, so that's what I did, to knock doors and build up a run. And um, when I did this, this picture of the church began to haunt me again. This picture of what the church might look like in my mind and what it actually really is supposed to look like in the New Testament. I would uh, run across brokenness and disillusionment, disillusionment with the Christian faith and, and with their church. And, uh, and this began to haunt me again. And it looked more like a them and us type of picture than just a, a us, just a, a group of people together. And so uh, I, 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 I began to realize again that this picture that I had of the church didn't line up with the New Testament and what I was seeing in society. And so the old Apostle John was giving us a picture of what the church will look like around the throne in the day to come. And this is what he's saying. After I looked, so he's talking about seeing all of these tribes and all of these people around the throne. And he says, after this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation and tribe and people and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they were wearing white robes and holding palms, branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud, in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to the Lord who sits upon the throne and to the Lamb. And my question was, how will we ever sit around the throne and worship around the throne if we don't learn how to sit around the table? And um, I, uh, this has been our Emmanuel mandate from day one, 24 years now, a family, an army, and a hospital that we would learn how to sit around the table with people that are different from us. I, uh, I grew up in a family of nine. There was dad, there was mom, there was six boys and one glorious sister amidst all of that, Patricia or Tricia, as she is lovingly known. And my earliest and lasting memories are around a table that my dad built. He actually built it in the kitchen because it was so big it was to house all of that crew, and it was so big he knew he'd never get it out of that kitchen without chopping it up. And I can remember getting the best of news, someone was maybe getting married, and the very worst of news, a loved one had been taken from us, had passed away, and I remember getting that type of news from both sides of the spectrum around that table. It was at that very table as a boy of six that I invited Jesus into my life the fun, the laughter, the games. And as we grew older, the tougher conversations. When mom and dad died, we sat around that very table and read their will. Same experiences in my own family as they grew up, conversations changed. It was no longer, have you washed your hands or don't eat with your mouth full because it's bad manners. The, 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 what happened was uh, it became more about a new friend that they got, or, or you're what? You're going to ask somebody to marry you. Those were the bigger conversations. Sometimes we um, agreed, and sometimes we disagreed the older the kids got. But what was important to me was this. 
What was important was they all stayed around the table. They all stayed around the table. As the conversation became more mature and more controversial, we had an unspoken internal pact. And this is it, that we are a family and families stay together. The worst thing is when someone jumps up and leaves the table and and throws their dummy out of the pram, we would say, because they didn't like the subject or more to the truth is they didn't like your view of the subject. And the vision of the church around the throne is people from every tongue and every tribe and every nation. And surely that is what the table should look like. If that's what the throne looks like or is going to look like, surely that's what the table should look like here on planet earth. So Jesus was giving us a micro vision in Matthew 22 of what the macro vision would look like in Revelation 7. He was saying uh, there was a way to look like um, uh, a church and it was to be around a table. Uh, We live in a day of racial tension like never before, growing up in a sectarian torn land, even our own little town here of Lurgan. And uh, we, uh, surely the answer lies in Matthew 22. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. So who is my neighbor? People who don't look like you. People who don't dress like you. People who don't vote like you. And then they've got you all around this incredible table. And diversity is a beautiful thing. Diversity does never need to mean division. Diversity does not need to mean division. Think of a man and a woman. There is nothing more diverse on planet Earth than we can usually get along okay. And the world is saying, you take your seat and go and sit in your corner. And sadly, the church has joined ranks in that. And for too long, the church has done the same. And I believe, and we believe here in Emmanuel, that the church must be different. Um, We get so good at pointing the finger at everybody else, but we need to realize that, that my mom used to say, when you point your finger, there are three pointing back. And that is so true. Or that I heard the story of a person who, who, thought every bone in his body hurt because when he touched his body, everywhere hurt, and then he realized he had a broken finger. And so then sometimes we've got to realize what's really going on in life. This week, um, uh, past Westminster voted um, uh, Northern Ireland to have the worst abortion laws in all of Europe against the majority vote of the people here in our island. This is not Okay. It's not okay. We are the church of Jesus Christ and we must raise our voices and speak for those who have no voice. Plus, plus, we must love these girls who feel that there is no other option and we need to provide a better way rather than just raise our voices in protest. Racial attitudes are not okay. Domestic abuse and child slavery are not okay. It was Tozer who said about the old saying, silence is golden, can sometimes be counterbalanced with the fact that silence is yellow. So we have four challenges today that I want to just bring to you quickly. Four quick things. The first one, very simply, we must rise up and be strong. As a church, 
There never was a day that we needed to be stronger than this day. I'm not doing this as a job. I hope you know that. I'm doing this because God spoke to me as a boy about a picture of a church that didn't line up with Scripture. And again at 33, reminding me, working in a broken place, that the church needed to do something. We have to fight for the church, and we have to gravitate around a table, and that table has a blood-stained cross in the middle of it. That's what we gather around. We gather around the fact that we can and identify with all of our differences is the fact that Jesus actually died for every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. So our table has a blood-stained cross at the center. And when we do that, for sure, we will gravitate one day around the throne with the victorious Lamb of God who died on that cross to reunite people back to himself from every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every Protestant, every Catholic, every color, every one. How do we do it? How do we do it? Well, we, 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 we need to make sure that we look like the church, not, not just this church, but we need to look like this church, what the New Testament actually teaches about this church. I, uh, I'm an Ikea fan, haven't been since the lockdown, and I'm not going to bother with those cues, um, but I, I, I love, on a day off, nothing I love um, better than browsing around Ikea and just buying some silly things probably that sometimes you don't even need. But one of the things that always amazes me about Ikea is their model homes. I walk into a a model room where they've built a room and I sometimes think, I would love my room to look like that. I would just love to take this room here from here and make this my room. And I'm a bit curious about these things, so I began to investigate in one of my journeys. And one of the beds, I happened to lift the bedspread with this beautiful looking bed and I realized there was nothing under the mattress, only cardboard. I noticed that the, the TV that looked so big, this big 60-inch TV that looked great in the wall, and I'm thinking, I would love that in my wall. And I, I found out that it actually wasn't real. It wasn't even real. There was no insides in it. It was just made of some kind of plastic. And so here's the thing. You see, model homes give an impression of something that's real, but it's not. And my fear is that these cheap imitations that just look good, they're cheap, but they're not deep. And my fear, again, is that there are so many imitations that can come up in the church, and it can come up in all of our lives, including mine. And they don't line up with the Scripture. They're just a picture of what our imagination, of what our assumption might be, but not what the reality of the truth of the Word really is. And so um, it's a bit like fake fruit. I haven't seen it in a long time, but my mom used to have a bowl of fake fruit. Whatever that was all about, I'm not sure. But there was no, there's no energy, there's no vitality, there's nothing in fake fruit. So let's not produce fake fruit in our church. We need to be strong. Secondly, um, number one, we need to rise up and be strong. Number two, we must discern the times and the seasons. Important in our day and age, never like, like ever before, to discern the times. 1 Chronicles 12.32 tells us about the sons of Isaac. And the sons of Isaac, it was said, they understood the times and knew what Israel needed to do. Jesus rebuked the Pharisees in, 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 in Matthew 16 
when they said, they looked at the sky and they'd say, a red sky, and they thought, well, it's going to be a good day tomorrow. Or they looked in the morning and they said, a red sky in the morning, they knew it was going to be a bad day. And he, he rebuked the, the, these Pharisees. He said, you can tell the time. You're good at telling the weather, but you've no, you've no inkling to discerning the times in which you are living. And so it's much easier I think sometimes it's much easier to trust Jesus as our Savior than it is as our Lord. And the New Testament mandate calls us to do both. We're to trust Him as Savior and we're to trust Him as Lord. When we trust Him as Savior, we put all our weight in Him. And what He has done to procure a place for us in eternity has dealt with all of our sin, past, present, and future by His death on the cross, His resurrection, and His ascension. And in doing so, He has sealed our eternal destiny forever. And that's wonderful. That's amazing. But our call is to also trust him as Lord. And when we trust him as Lord, the onus then shifts to us. Over and over, Jesus would use the little word if uh, while he was here on earth. He would use this tiny little word, which has a huge meaning. He would say, you are my friends if you do what I command. And I'm often surprised to hear people say, well, when God does this or that, I'll do so and so. And I hate to be the bearer of bad tidings, but if that's you, I've got really bad news for you. You see, I sometimes wonder and ponder at God's patience and long-suffering with me over the years, although I've been learning more and more as I get older, that it is when James 4, 8 tells us, when I come near to God, that he actually comes near to me. And this order of this is life-changing. It's life-changing to note. And so instead of saying, God, when's my breakthrough coming? Or when are you going to move towards me? Maybe we should be praying this prayer, God, help me to discipline my life in such a way that I live a life of sacrifice and love towards you. I'm giving you all. I'm holding nothing back. Come and fill me afresh. Uh, He is the one that influences us. And then out of that, we shine into the world, and so on and on, that must go. So number three, we, number one, we must rise up and be strong. Number two, we need to discern the times and the seasons. Number three, we must love our neighbor as ourselves. How you treat your neighbor, you see, is a huge deal to God. So much so in our Matthew text, Jesus actually said that you can hang the whole law, 614 of them I think there was in this day, but he's saying you can hang all of this, the whole scripture on these two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. That's why our love your neighborhood scheme is important to us, how to look and to pray and serve. And and note how it says, love your neighbor as yourself we live in a day when there's a, a huge mental health crisis. There are many reasons for this, and I'm not a psychologist by any means, but I do believe in the Western world with the speed of life and debt and the desire to belong, comparing with the faceless world of Facebook, and poor self-image, low self-esteem, are all things that contributes to um, a low or ill mental health And yet the truth is God's face is turned toward us in acceptance and grace. And for some of you, this might be a new thing. For some of you, you might think when God's face is turned towards you, it's wrath and anger, but not so. And let me me just remind you this. If if you're a believer today, let me just, um, in Ephesians 1, you should get your pen out and, and highlight these as I run through them just in a list. Here's the, th- here's the truth. If you're a believer, Ephesians 1, verse 3, he has blessed you. 
Number four, verse four, verse four, he has chosen you. Verse five, he's predestined you. Verse six, he's accepted you. Verse seven, you have redemption through his blood. Verse eight, he abounds towards you in wisdom. Verse nine, he reveals to you the mystery of his will. Verse 11, gives you an inheritance. Verse 12, made you the praise of his glory. That's all in one chapter of Ephesians 1. It's pretty incredible. And so some things that we need to do to fire our relationship with Jesus is just to set aside a time and a place and make it a daily discipline and let it become a passion. Fourthly, as we bring this into land, number one, we need to rise up and be strong. Secondly, we need to discern the times and seasons. Thirdly, we must love our neighbor as ourselves. And fourthly, as a church, we must pray like never before. I pray like never before. I love the verse in, in Acts 4, 31. It talks about, um, and when they had prayed. Notice the language. They did something. Not if they prayed, but when they had prayed. The place. I love that. Where's your place? There's got to be a place where you pray. It says, when they had prayed, the place in which they had gathered was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. If you'd have walked into that room, you would have known there was an atmosphere. You would have felt that it was powerful. The Holy Spirit would have driven a power dynamic in that room. It was probably tangible. They were all filled again in that place. Prayer needs to be more than a theology. Prayer needs to be passionate. It needs to be by participation. Everyone gets to play. That's why we have a prayer meeting this Wednesday night coming up, 8 o'clock. I know it's Zoom, and some people say to me, I'm not coping with Zoom, but hey, at least we get to see everybody, and at least we can pray together. So don't be afraid of Zoom. Come on, there's nobody putting any pressure on you, and you'll get the, the, the details of that out via email. That's why Jesus said in, in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, he said, when you pray, pray like this, our Father. There was a collective, um, a collective power to that, our Father coming together um, uh, to, to pray. We sing that song sometimes, befriended. I love that song. And one of the verses reads, invited invited deep into this mystery. That's it. We're divided. We're, we're invited to partner and to do business with the God of the universe when we come to prayer. So prayer influences heaven. We want to be part of this, not just a belief in prayer, not just a doctrine, but a behavior of prayer, a passion for prayer, a conviction for prayer, a spirit of prayer. Everyone who calls Emmanuel their home carries this mantle. Listen to what Andrew Murray says about prayer. He said, God rules the world through the prayers of his people. That God should have made the expansion of his kingdom in such a large extent dependent on the faithfulness of his people in prayer is an incredible mystery and an absolute certainty. The faithfulness of God's people is the thing that turns God's hand to work. Revelation 5, we're finishing now, but Revelation 5, 8 puts it this way. It says, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and the golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Amber led that song today, day and night, night and day, let incense arise 
You deserve all the glory, God. Incense, I love that. Incense throughout the, the Bible has been involved with prayers from the tabernacle of Moses on. There were 11 gradients in, in incense. Four of them are actually mentioned in Exodus 30, 34. And when you get around it, it gets on your clothes. You start to, it, 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 one of the ingredients makes it rise like a funnel. It causes an aroma that's rich and thick, powerful, a smoke that sticks to everything. If you were in that room, when you would leave, you would carry the smell of that aroma on you. And prayer is such an aroma. When we carry it into every aspect of our lives, this is what will rewrite the story of our city. So what's your smell this morning? What are you carrying this morning? Incense doesn't work without fire. Words without passion are incense, like incense without fire. And so there's something you need to carry that spirit within you. So let's not just speak empty words, but let's be prepared to sit around the table with those that are different, those that are different ethnic backgrounds, those that vote differently, those that look differently. Let's be willing to do that because as we begin to sit around the table with people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation, one day, as Revelation 7 reminds us, we're going to worship around the throne and we're going to say salvation belongs to the Lord who sits upon the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. So there we have it. We must rise up and be strong. We must discern the times and seasons. We must love our neighbors as ourselves. And we must pray like never before. If you don't know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, then you can today. You can accept him into your life right now. There's a number across the bottom of your screens that if you phone that number, someone will be there to talk to you, to point you in the right direction, to pray with you. We'd love you to do that just by repenting of your sin and saying, Jesus, I accept you as my Lord and Savior. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth and believe with your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So God, I give the word to you this morning. I pray, God, that you would help us to become the picture of the church in Revelation 7, and you would help us to learn how to love you with all of our hearts and love our neighbor as ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk